So tonight uh, is the first kickoff of starting something kind of new. Um, so we're going to have this worship, um, kind of like a Sunday service, but not. In a way, it's going to be kind of like this, but have the word incorporated into our service. Um, so I'm really thankful for all of you guys that are really here right now, um, for everybody that's been attending every week. Um, in that sense, I'm, still, I'm thankful for you guys because really the truth is you are the church. And I kind of want to explain that. You know, when I, um, this is on a side note, this is not even on the study. I was just doing a word study. But when I hear the word church, um, I grew up in Oahu. And what I thought what church was, was Sunday morning, uh, deep Manoa. And that's where church was. From Proceedy to Manoa, I don't know if you guys live in Oahu, but that's a far drive. And, uh, and so that's what I thought what church was. And so I did a word study on the word church. And in the Greek, it's ekklesia. Okay? And the translation, it actually means an assembly. It's actually a called out ones, or in a sense, you can say a type of gathering. So the root word of church was never place. It was never a day, right? It was never a building, but it was a people. And so without the people, there would be no church, right? It would just be kind of Kilauea Theater. And so that's why even as Paul addresses the churches in Galatia, he addresses the churches in Corinth and uh, Philippi, many local churches out there. But what if the people weren't there, right? Who would he he be, uh, in a sense, writing to? The building, right? And so that's why I'm thankful for you guys here. Without the people, there would be no church. Without for you guys, there would be no church, right? And all of you have a part here. In the same sense, those of you who have put your faith and your trust in Jesus Christ, uh, Paul would say that we are now the body of Christ. Um, each one of us are a part of this body here. And I love that. One body, many members, many denominations, but one head, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So that, it is my desire for those of you who are coming out um, these nights, every week, to be, in a sense, growing. I was thinking about that word, growth, right? We're here to grow um, and come to meet Jesus, as Pastor Steve would say, but come to meet Jesus, but also grow in our faith. And so to bring your Bibles um, and to follow along, because we are going to be going through the Gospels in a chronological order. See, we get to see the ministry of Jesus Christ in an orderly fashion, and what's not going to be orderly is we're going to be jumping around, okay? All accounts, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And so for the next maybe um, three and a half years, right, it takes us to kind of get, get us through uh, this series. I pray that each and every one of you would have a real encounter, a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. That's the prayer on a personal level, right, that his Holy Spirit would light up the darkness, would reveal, and as we gather together, I love what Austin brought up, the reason why we gather is to stir each other up in love and good works. That's one of the main reasons is come here and to stir each other up in love and good works. So I pray that each and every, every one of you would grow in his grace, in his knowledge, and in his relationship um, with him. That it would be strengthened and that you and I would be refined um, through this process and encouraged. Amen? Amen. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2. So if you guys have your Bibles, please open up to Luke chapter 2. That's where um, it's going to take us tonight. Oh, and if not, you guys can look on the screen. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 2, starting in verse actually 41 tonight. And really, I'm only hitting three verses. The first two and the last uh, last verse, verse 52. So who is Luke? I'm glad you asked. 
Paul actually mentions in Colossians chapter 4, verse 14, that Luke is his beloved physician. That's how he addresses him. And so translation, one who heals. Right? So in my opinion, Luke being some type of physician, some type of uh, doctor, he must have been taken back, right? As he would hear stories of Jesus healing people. I'm sure Luke was familiar with medicine, but not miracles, right? And he probably uh, was fascinated by these stories in a sense, as you would see, a lot of recorded healings in his account of the gospel. And so in the beginning of Luke, apart from us knowing our traditional Christmas story, right? Jesus being born in a manger, the angels appearing to the shepherds at night. Luke is the only one who recorded for us Jesus Christ. Not, at, not just a baby, a baby born in Bethlehem, but as a boy. As a boy at the age of 12. It's pretty trippy. And so, we all know the deity of Jesus Christ, right? And by deity, I mean him being the son of God. And as John would say, uh, the word became flesh and he dwelt among us. But tonight... Tonight, we get to witness his humanity. I found that very interesting. You see, in the same way, Jesus had parents like us. Jesus had parents like we did. He grew up the way we did. Not traditionally, but he ate food, guys. He drank water. He was normal. And I'm sure when that time came, he had to go to work just like us. It even says uh, in John 4 that he got tired. Remember uh, meeting the Samaritan woman? He had to sit down. He got tired. He got weary from the journey. He was fully God, but he was also fully human. And so all throughout the scripture, you are, you are able to see both natures at different times. Just keeping that in the back of your mind, our story picks up in verse 41, okay? And in this culture, we can see that Mary and Joseph were devoted Jews who observed this thing called the Passover. What is Passover? I'm glad you asked. And so three times a year, the Jewish, uh, three times a year, the Jewish men were required to go to Jerusalem, okay, to worship. But not all of them could afford these trips. So I read somewhere uh, that if they could just choose one, it would have been the Passover. And they would try to take their families with them as this was the most important feast in the Jewish calendar. It comes from the book of um, Exodus as it is a type of remembrance uh, of the Israelites' freedom from slavery to the Egyptians. Quick backstory, and we need to know this, okay? Quick backstory. Moses and Aaron in Egypt trying to lead the people of Israel out. God sends ten plagues. And God's tenth plague, the final plague, the worst of them all, was that all firstborns were to die in Egypt. That sounds crazy, right? God's command to his people that night was to take a spotless lamb and mark their doorposts, right, with its blood. When the Lord passed that night through the land, he would then pass over, you get it? Pass over the homes that showed the blood. As the blood of this lamb saved the Israelites from death and for the Egyptians' homes, it says in scripture that did not have this blood, it says there was loud wailing in Egypt that night. For there was not a house with someone dead, without someone dead. And so Pharaoh being Pharaoh, having a change of heart again, finally released uh, the people of Israel. As it says, they were there for 430 years. That's a long time. Right? 430 years? Right. 250? Was it? You can cut, cut this out of the podcast. And so this was huge, right? Even to this day, 
They're there for a long time. And so this was huge. Even to this day, right, Jews all around the world, even today, celebrate the Passover in obedience to its command to be observed. And so now this is where our story takes place. Verse 41 to 42. Was it really 250? It says, Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was just 12 years old, they went up according to custom. And so we see here Mary and Joseph never skipped a beat. Just from these two verses, right? From keeping the law of Moses in um, prior scriptures, from the scriptures earlier, um, earlier verses, and attending to what is required of them. They were devoted to their faith in a sense. And now Jesus, um, kind of being at that age to understand and to be held accountable to these practices, got to come along this journey. And you see, we need to know at the age of 13, when a child would be, uh, a child would actually be a full member of the synagogue. The Mishnah I read in Jacobelin's book is called The Interpretation of the Law. The father was supposed to bring his child several years earlier so that he would be accustomed to these things, right? Time to get familiar in what we believe in. Make sense? Okay. So it wasn't until the age of 12 that Jesus got to see exactly what Mary and Joseph have been doing year after year. You see, it was probably at this time where he got to see the lamb being brought to the priests and the blood being poured out. As they would all sit down that night and have dinner with each other, Joseph would explain kind of the significance of why they do this. See, from us being in slavery and then our exodus out of Egypt, this is what God commanded us to do, to observe this night as he prepared a way for our freedom. And as they were just telling Jesus these things, they were also showing him. So in this sense, how much more of a reality this must have been, right? Anybody watch Lord of the Rings? Anybody read Lord of the Rings? Right? And then anybody watch Lord of the Rings? Right? Kind of brings things to life, Right? When you read a book and then you watch the movie. You know when you are telling someone a story and it's like you're telling them and they don't really get it. He's like, oh, you just got to be there, right? I hear what you and you just kind of have to be there in a sense, right? Don't you tell them like, hey, you just had to be there, right? And so if you haven't already kind of put the dots together, I just wanted to explain Egypt doesn't just represent the place, but it's also symbolic for us. And let me explain. This Exodus story is our story. In a sense, Egypt is this picture of oppression and slavery. Egypt in the New Testament actually represents our old life. And sin being our master. Right? Just as God has redeemed them by his grace, God has redeemed us. It was by faith they put the blood on the doorpost. It is by grace through faith that we are saved. As John the Baptist would later on see Jesus and say what? Behold. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, it is by the blood we were saved. See, Christ made a way for us as well. He brought us out of our Egypt in a sense, paid for our freedom so that we could now what? So that we could follow after him. Right? So first things first, he didn't save us so we could just go back. Amen? He saved us to take us in a new direction. That's what it means to put our faith in Jesus. It means we are following after Jesus. Who's put their faith in Christ today? I want to know. But I want us to understand that when we say we are following after him, that means we are to obey him. We can't follow someone we don't obey. Does that make sense? 
because we can so often sometimes, and this is something um, that I was thinking about, was we can so often sometimes hear the message and read his word, and his Holy Spirit's job is to show us exactly what needs to be uprooted. And that what we are to be doing is sowing and planting to fill that place. See, this is the constant work that God is doing in us. Are you, a follower of Je- are you a follower of Jesus Christ today? Yes. Do you do what he tells you to do? Sometimes. <laughs> Does that sound crazy? I think that sounds crazy. Right? Let me tell you something. You got to see it that this is why we can get so frustrated as Christians. This is something else that was hitting me this week. And this is kind of new for me. We want to follow after Christ but not always do what he says. That's when his will and my will don't line up. You know what it feels like? Being pulled in two different directions. I don't know how that feels physically, but it sounds like it hurts, right? And as a pastor, and as Pastor Steve always preaches every week, I think that we want you guys to experience this fullness of life that we keep hearing about. Like, I want you to see God's grace. I want you to see his mercy um, and his love towards you every single morning you wake up. I want you to fully enjoy this relationship that you have with him. But that becomes so hard when we're not actually following after him. It's not about professing your faith. It's about possessing it. This is what it means to follow after him. He gives us a new direction in life. And this is for all of us. Everything starts to become new. That's why Jesus calls it being born again. And guess what? Salvation, I pray you got it. It's a one-time thing. But this walk, it's a process for sure, right? And it's going to take some time. And I think it's my job and us jobs as leaders here, um, our jobs as leaders here is to constantly get you in the game. Like that's been on my heart for the past months to get you guys in the game. Just because I run out on a football field doesn't make me a football player. Just because Reggie and I beat you guys all in volleyball doesn't make us pro volleyball players, right? Yeah. See, God, in a sense, has prepared a way for you and I. He's prepared a way for us, and he's given us his Holy Spirit to empower us to walk in that direction. That's what it is. It's nothing that you do, but what God does through you and what he does in you. And as we continue to walk in the Spirit, Keith said it the other week, we don't gratify the things of the flesh. He will start to give you a new heart. He will begin to give you new desires. That's why Paul says, old things have passed. Behold, all things become new. That's what it's about. And maybe some of us here don't feel that way, right? But let me tell you, our feelings always change. See, my feelings go up, down, left, right in a matter of seconds. I can be happy one second and sad the next. So thank God the way we feel doesn't change is truth. And this is the truth. If the Son has set you free, you are free indeed. Amen? Amen. Amen. He freed us so that we can follow after him. That's my point. And like I said earlier about symbolism, this Passover is also symbolic for us. This is my story. This is your story. But this has to be our reality. You see, Mary and Joseph didn't just get to talk about Passover to Jesus. They got to show him the Passover. 
We might not be practicing these customs today and what they're observing, but as I get to tell people about Jesus, um, uh, what Jesus saved me and how Jesus saved me, as you get to tell people that Jesus saved you and how much he loves them, right, that there is a joy, that there is a peace, and that there is a way we get the opportunity now not to just tell them, but we get to show them what that looks like. And guess what? People are watching. I'm telling you right now, people are watching. People want to see the love you have for each other. People want to see joy in the midst of hardship. They want to see peace when it's chaotic. I did. I love to observe people. I watched my pastors on the ranch, right? And I'm sure my family didn't want to just hear about change. They wanted to see the change. And so I pray that what you are professing today is what you guys are projecting in your workplaces, at home, wherever you guys may be. I heard somewhere that you might be the only Bible people ever read. Isn't that crazy? I think John MacArthur said that. You're a boy. So how important it is for God's word and our lives to start lining up with each other. There should be no contradiction, right? The what, what we, um, that what we know and what we tell is the way we live. See, we are living proof of what Christ has done in our lives. And we get to be living examples of what it means to follow after him. And I took a lot of time on that. But we're going to finish the rest. And so going back to this feast. So going back to this feast, it must have been an amazing time, right? They got to see and to share what God has done in their lives. But time was up. Verse 43. Um, And when the feast has ended and as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know him, but but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And so just so we can get this picture and just so you know um, that everyone back then would actually travel in packs. They would travel in groups. Anybody watch Home Alone? That's what I could think of. Right? Like where's Kevin? Right? <laughs> right? Like you see all these family members scrambling in one house, right? And they all have to uh, rush and get ready. They got into the van, right? Uh, planes leave, right? The plane's about to take off. We got to get to the airport. Planes leaving. We're there. Where's Kevin, right? That type of thing. Um, so you would just kind of assume, right, getting into the van that everyone was there in a sense, right? Three, uh, these days they were traveling by the multitudes and all from the same areas. And so if we're going to a conference, right, we would all go together uh, to Oahu, to How to Walk Conference or to a hymn conference. We would all travel together in a sense. So you guys kind of got that picture. And so people who were traveling back to Galilee would go to a a town uh, just north of Jerusalem and they would meet there. That'd be the meetup point and then they would go begin their journey home. And it was there, where they, saw, where, they, where they found out that Jesus was missing, right? Like, I thought you were watching him, right? There's, like, family members, there's friends, and so people are running around, in a sense, right? And so they return, and three days later, after searching for him, they finally found him. Where did they find him? Verse 46, after three days, after three days, they found him in, what does it say? In the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions, um, and all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? 
and they did not understand the saying. He spoke to them, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and he was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart, and Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. Amen? And so we really don't know what happens after. Like, that's it. We know Jesus' ministry actually starts at 30, so for the next 18 years, we could only assume what it was kind of like. Even though we only have a small portion of Jesus' um, earlier life at 12 years old, I want to remind you that he was once 12 years old. How encouraging. That God didn't just send his son at 30 years old to begin ministry, right? Or did Jesus turn 3 years old and then he knew everything that he needed to know and, and, and what he was going to do, right? Like he was already equipped at 3. He already got understanding and wisdom. No. In fact, it says that he grew. Right? Jesus grew. It says that he increased, and you know what that means? Over time. Let's read verse 52 one more time. It says, Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and man. It says he increased in wisdom, and so we know the, uh, and so we know the uh, definition of wisdom is actually the application of knowledge. As we would see in verse 46, they found him in where? The temple, sitting with teachers and asking them questions. He was fully God, but he was also fully man. He learned and developed the same way you and I do. Guess what? When it was time to apply spiritual principles into his life, that's what he did. And Jesus being God, how much more should we be doing the same thing? It says he grew in stature, which means physically. This is what we should be aiming for. You know what I call it? A balanced diet. As we're getting older, we should be getting wiser. Amen? And that even says that he grew his relationships with God and people continue to grow. What an example. At 12 years old, Jesus left for us. That in the next 18 years before he begins his ministry at 30, that, that this time in between where he, is where he's being prepared. It's where he's being equipped for what God has for him. And guess what? Guess what he was called to do during this time? To be a son. It says in verse 51 that after this he was submissive unto them. Jesus honored his parents and continued to grow in the same manner that we all did. Ain't nothing different. Seriously. And I'm sure he had to go to work at some point. I'm sure life got busy. Brothers and sisters got crazy. He had siblings. Life, in a sense, was life. It is no different than for you and I today. That's what I'm trying to get at. And so tonight, I wanted to encourage you. I wanted to encourage you, those of you who feel like where you're at, at in life right now feels very dull, that it kind of feels like uh, we are just going through some routine these days, that maybe it feels like this is a waste of time. I want to tell you first things first, that God is sovereign. He knows exactly where you're at. He knows exactly what's going on. And what I heard is preparation for anything good takes time. I like that. And God is always preparing us for what lies ahead. I read David, right? The story of David. David was anointed king. You know when he became king? 15 to 20 years later. Right? Please tell me I'm right. John the Baptist. 
John the Baptist, 15 years in the wilderness before he started preaching. Come on. Paul, Arabia, three years studying the scriptures before the Lord called him. Although Jesus was sent to be our Savior, our Lord, the Savior of the world, it was during these 18 years where he spent his time at home and with his family doing what he was called to do, to be a son. To be a brother. That's it. And now as you and I are following after Christ, he will certainly bring us into places or give us things to do that we might not always understand. Like, why am I here? Why am I still here? Whether we're, uh, uh, but I believe that it's in these places, it's in those in-between years, guys, where he's preparing you and I for what he has planned for us. Good things take a little time. Amen? And whether we're scrubbing toilets or uh, preaching on the pulpit, it's all the same. Pastor Steve knows that. God has called you and I to be faithful with the things he's given to us. Amen? Amen. And so tonight, I want to pray. I want to pray. I don't know where you're at. I have no idea where you're at. I wanted to incorporate this prayer time um, for a time that we do every week um, just to examine our hearts and search, uh, let God search us. Maybe the Lord's been speaking to you this week or tonight. Maybe there's a certain area in our lives or some sin that we're still trying to manage. Listen, the fact that we needed saving in the first place tells a lot about us, right? It's time to let it go. I don't know what it is. Like you guys been set free. That's what he paid for, our freedom. It's time to move forward, and if the sun set you free, you're free indeed. I want to encourage you with this also. I heard this saying, the phone's going to ring. You don't got to answer it anymore, right? And the second thing we can pray for is also endurance. I feel like that's huge. To be faithful in where he called us to be and what he has given us. I'm going to pray, but I also want you to pray. I want you to pray to let him search you and examine your hearts. If there's stuff that you want to let go, ask God to take these things um, from you, then ask him. It's that easy. But yet we want to hold on to these things like we're in control, right? It's hard. It's hard. And so I want to pray for you, and then you guys can be praying as well. But even after this, I want us to pray for each other. Amen? Amen, Lord. I thank you for this night. God, I thank you for your word. And I thank you for these people here, Lord, that are hungry for you, that are hungry for a relationship with you, God. I pray that we wouldn't be on the fence anymore, God, if that's us. That we would fully surrender and lay everything down and follow after you, God, because that's what you called us to do. It's hard. It's hard to be on the fence and go this way and go that way. God, tonight I pray that if that's us, that we would make a choice, Lord. That we would want to follow after you, that we want to obey you, God, and, and that we would want to um, seek you in all that we do. God, I pray that you would search us tonight, that you would search our hearts, examine us. That we would be vulnerable, God, tonight. I pray your Holy Spirit come. That we would listen to the convictions. And for us to feel tired tonight, God, I pray that you would just give us strength. 
that you give us endurance, Lord, to continue in the ministries, in the works, in the uh, being a parent or a husband or a wife or uh, whatever that looks like. We know our strength comes from you, Lord, so I pray that... Um, pray that our relationship would be strengthened with you. I pray that this week that we would look at this whole thing totally differently, Lord, that this is a relationship. Instead of searching for other things and looking towards other things, God, I pray that um, this week, Lord, that we would spend that time with you. I pray for this church. I pray for this body here, Lord God, that you would strengthen them and equip them, Lord. We pray for families. We pray for uh, people that are sick. We pray um, and we just lift up the people that don't know you, Lord. So I pray, God, that you would take us deeper. And that you would meet us in a very personal and real way. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.